Well, good morning, Sun Valley Church, and uh, happy Holy Week to you as we are looking at the Passion of Christ uh, this week and on Friday as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday on Sunday, obviously. Uh, But it is good to be with you again, uh, and I'm glad that I have Pastor Rick and Pastor John with me in the room today. And again, we're going to be working through our statement of faith, and we've made our way to the portion on mankind. That is really chauvinistic of you in some sense, I'm sure, to say that. (laughs) That's why you said said it, isn't it? (laughs) I said it in the wrong way, I guess. Um, But no, we're going to be talking about the doctrine of man today and i was as just before we came in here i was thinking about this that this is probably one of those doctrines in our statement of faith that people would have the most difficulty with outside the church mm, um, yeah. outside the church because we see things uh, you know we're talking about uh, men and women's roles we're talking about things like marriage we talk about the depravity of man and naturally uh, sinful man uh, bucks against bucks against those things. Um, but, uh, let's, let's talk about this idea of, of marriage. Um, marriage, marriage <laughs> and true Rob. What is, what is marriage? How would we define it? Why does the doctrine of man, Jeremy, have to begin with the subject of marriage? I, that seems a little bit strange jump yeah why can't it begin with feminism well i i want to hit at marriage because this is such a confusing topic and it's where most of man's sin occurs (laughs) (laughs) right and we thank we thank our wives that's the perennial question right if a tree falls in the forest does it make a sound if no one's around it does and if a man isn't married Um, can he actually sin right I, I took the students, uh, some of the guys, uh, backpacking last summer, and we were asleep, and all of a sudden I just hear this massive crash from a tree. Oh, seriously? Uh, it scared me to death. <laughs> and uh, so, yes, trees do fall and they do make noises. In the and woods. man can't sin without being married. It's true. He's this is a, true. Yeah. We this have, is true. I'm not going to add to that. Yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, a few years ago, I think you guys made some adjustments on the the idea of, of marriage in this statement of faith. Is this true? Yes. Yeah, I don't think I don't think originally it had um, a paragraph on marriage in the anthropology section. Which is section. why I'm a little surprised we jumped straight to that. But uh, who am I? I'm not the podcast <laughs> guy here. I'm just a guest. You're just the, the founding pastor of Sun Valley Church. I'm just like. I mean, we could go back, John. If, no, if, I'm, if you I want to go back, you know, we'll go the, back. the doctrine of man. You know, the doctrine of marriage is a subset of the doctrine of man. It is. And so I'm just, you know, I'm surprised we don't speak of this strange creation called man, well, including okay. man and woman. But well, no, I, why, I don't want to disrupt your little no, outline no, there. No, Jeremy, no, no. Walk, <laughs> no walk, walk us through it. Walk us through uh, this strange creation called man. Yeah, well, like a question like I thought would be a good way to start this podcast <laughs> Would be why did God create man? You know, okay. Why why man? Why didn't he just stop on the fifth day of creation and have a perfect scenario? I'm just gonna walk out. 
You know what I mean? Well, you ask the questions and then you answer them. I'll walk out. Well, no, I, Drop the mic. I don't want to interrupt you. You ask what you want. We'll, we'll, we'll pursue your life. No, let's start later. there. Let's start there. Why did God, why did God create men? What's the Westminster Confession say about that, Rick? I think for his own glory. Yeah. The chief end of man is... To, to glorify God and enjoy him forever, unless you're John Piper, in which case it's to glorify God by enjoying him yeah. forever. Well, I'm not John Piper, but I think that's a good thought process. That that's that's one way we glorify God, isn't it? Yeah. Is yeah. by our enjoyment of Him. Yep. <laughs> I think God's glorified even by our rebellion. You know, in my doctrine and theology. But Amen. I, yeah, and but <laughs> I think that that we do we do glorify God by enjoying Him. I mean, mm-hmm. you can think about that. How do, how does a man or a woman glorify their marriage by enjoying their spouse? Mm. And, and I think that when we enjoy God, we make much of Him, we're satisfied in Him, then it, it brings wonderful glory to our Creator. Well, you think about the fact that in the garden, right, when everything's perfect, um, God's created everything, and what's happening immediately? Yeah. God's walking you know, in the garden in the cool of the day mm-hmm. with Communion. His people whom He made. And they enjoyed it. Yep. And so there's a, there is an underlying um, point in the creation of man that exalts God. Mm-hmm. Um, we are the pinnacle of his creation for a reason. Mm-hmm. We are more significant because of the, just of the order of creation than the stars, um, than all the intricate molecule system and everything. We're at the end of creation and considered to be the pinnacle of creation mm-hmm. because we more than anything else in all creation, exalt the glory of God. We are made in his image. We are image bearers of God. And that's amazing. Yesterday, um, my kids and I watched um, the planetarium show from the Creation Museum. Mm -hmm. And just, you know, zooming out into the, the known universe. What does the known universe look like? And just the vastness of that, which is beyond comprehension. And then to, to hear what you just said, you yeah. know, that, that he created the stars, the heavens, all that stuff, um, and setting the stage for right. Right. what was coming, the creation of humanity. Hmm. And, and the first thing that God does there when he makes um, man and woman in his image is he blesses them. And this blessing is commonly known as the dominion mandate or the, the culture mandate. Mm-hmm. And he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And, and then in chapter two, which I believe is a zooming in on what God did on day six, he says he put the man in the garden to work it and keep it. Mm-hmm. You know, and that image of that garden moves, you move forward to the building of the temple and you see the temple frescoed with trees mm-hmm. and fruit and garden imagery. Mm-hmm. And so you had this, that's where theologians get this idea that we were set in on this earth in the middle of a garden in order to spread that garden temple, as it were, to the ends of the earth and fill it with God's worshipers. And then entered sin. Yeah. yeah. And, and of course, sin is much about our story as anything. Mm-hmm. Um, our first parents, you know, drew us into that. And it wasn't because they were so weak and vulnerable. It was because of, you know, like we would have done the same. You know, people yeah. get all up in arms about, you know, Adam's weakness and lack of leadership and Eve's, you know, vulnerability and all that stuff. When, in fact, 
we're all like that. We would have all pulled the same stunt. Oh, yeah. Um, some of us in this room more than others and more quickly than others. But. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, there's some dis- debate on whether or not the original sin had to do with fruit or fossil fuels. But <laughs> either yeah, way. No, right. See, there's politics all over again. But... Yeah, so sin is a big part of, of the doctrine of man. I mean, it's actually yeah. got its own subset called harmartiology, um, the doctrine of sin, but it is it is a subset of the doctrine of man. And the, But even in that, I mean, the beauty of, of God's plan in exalting himself um, through the use of the fall of man mm-hmm. into sin mm-hmm. is... A spectacular doctrine in and of itself. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people. We, I talked about this a few weeks back in the sermon um, in Psalm one nineteen. But the, the the dismissal from the garden. You know, I think most people on a superficial level, as they read through that in in Genesis, think of that as a, a, a great point of of sadness in mm-hmm. human history. Mm-hmm. But in fact, it's a, a an act of God's grace and mercy to be expelled because in the garden there's no death and sin was initiated in the garden. Mm -hmm. And so had they been allowed to remain, no death and yet in sin perpetually. Can you think of that? Mm -hmm. That would be a horrible thing. Mm -hmm. But because of being expelled from the garden, death was allowed to enter the human race, and with death, redemption. Hmm. That's the only way. And so God in his plan, it wasn't plan B, oh, now what am I going to do? They sinned. No, that's not how it worked. Hmm. Plan A was exactly what happened. There is only one plan in God's view, and it includes the fall of man and the redemption of man through God's Son, Jesus Christ, that exalts his glory, as Ephesians 1 talks about. For for the grace for for the glory of his grace is what he he says three times yeah. in that one sentence Paul says so yeah yeah so when we talk about when we talk about Adam and Eve in the garden uh, and they're walking in the cool of the day um, and and finding their delight in God was was every act of their life besides you know eating of the fruit <clears throat> was every act of their life an act of worship before the fall yes yeah. yeah. I think so. So I, I bring that up because I think so often when we think about worship, we think about just, you know, singing songs and, and, and that's the worship portion of, you know, the service or whatever. But when they were walking in the cool of the garden, when they were with God, their life, you know, working the ground, all this stuff was actually an act of worship. Yeah, I think that's important because what I think what you're saying is that ought to be the case today. Right. You know, so our relationships in our home, uh, our vocation, you know, our driving to and from work can be acts of worship. Mm-hmm. And they mm-hmm. should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as redeemed people. Because we're, we're redeemed to a pre-fall condition. That's, that's the, the effect and objective of redemption. To, to get that original intent of God, that pre-sin garden experience that you were describing earlier, Rick, um, to be the case once again, mm-hmm. all things being made new, restored really to that pre-fall condition, mm-hmm. relationship with God, 
uh, every minute of the day being an act of worship, etc. Yeah. Yeah. So sin enters in, uh, and everything is now tainted. Uh, work, mm-hmm. marriage, family, relationships, all these, all these things. Um, and so, you know, as Paul talks about in Romans 1, this idea that, that we've exchanged the creation for the creator, where we're now worshiping the creation rather than the creator. Um, and now, so as we look into now in our day and age, uh, marriage, we would say, is still between man and woman. We would say that. Yeah. Some wouldn't. Some wouldn't say that. Right. And why, why do we need to, why do we need to, you know, put our foot down and, and you know, stand on this truth that, no, this is, this is actually how God created it. This is how it's meant to be, and we should walk in this. Well, because um, as the, the one who designed marriage for his glory and for a purpose, the ultimate purpose of which we see, you know, Paul drawing out in Ephesians 5 by going back to Genesis 1 and 2, um, there is no freedom within the creation to change the rules, to change the definitions, mm-hmm. to change the the blueprint for human flourishing. And so the reason, one of the reasons is because God is God, okay? So that's the supreme reason, you know, that, that he is actually the Lord of all. But another reason is that because to the degree to which we uh, change his blueprints for how the world works, um, we introduce corruption into human flourishing. And if we actually believe that we should love our neighbors ourselves, um, which we do, uh, then we we couldn't do anything other than to stand uh, firmly on mm-hmm. bi- a biblical understanding of marriage when the world is increasingly changing its definitions and even militating against what God intended for society to flourish well. And, mm-hmm. and that means everybody in society, mm-hmm. even those who are in high-handed rebellion against God, mm-hmm. they have a better society and a better life when solid marriages between one man and one woman are preserved and um, nurtured. Yeah, so who invented that? Who invented that one man, one woman concept? It was the creator of man, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the ways you know, I would, I've had been asked that question before that you asked, Jeremy, about this whole corruption of the view of man and marriage or man, woman and marriage. Um, and I say, well, the creator of man and woman and the creator of marriage said this when he was on the planet, Matthew 19, have you not read? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when they were, they were asking the same question mm-hmm. of yeah. Jesus. Yeah. And he said, haven't you read what's yeah. said in yeah. scripture? A man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Jesus' Jesus's answer was what you just gave, Rick. Haven't you read? This is what it says. God's in charge. He gets, desi- he gets to say he's designed it. This is his universe. Mm-hmm. You make your own, you can say man can marry man. Mm-hmm. But until you make your own, then we have to abide by the creator's standards, the mm-hmm. creator's design. Mm-hmm. Haven't you read? Yeah. And it's interesting looking at Romans 1 when Paul's cataloging the, and I mean universality, right, of human sin. Because at the end of that chapter, he he mentions a list of things, which includes disobedience to parents. So this is not a singling out of one type of sin over another. But he he goes through a progression of what rebellion looks like in a culture. And he, you know, he goes from idolatry on. And one of the gr- gross manifestations of rebellion against God is 
um, sexual perversion. Mm. And that we're talking adultery, we're talking homosexuality, the whole nine yards. And mm. we're seeing that progression play out over the last 70, 80 years in the United States. Mm -hmm. That seems pretty judgmental to me, yeah. Pastor Rick. I've been accused of that before. So and what... What do you say about that when someone says, yeah. you know... I said, you've met my boss. You know, I've worked for him for 10 years. I've learned from the best. <laughs> no, you know, we get back to human flourishing. Yeah. That it's actually... And you, and you actually, in, in all honesty, John, has really made this point a number of times well, that love doesn't, doesn't patty cake around what true goodness is mm -hmm. for the sake of not offending somebody. Right. You know, and I think one of the examples you use most commonly is, is a doctor treating a disease. Yeah. He could make you feel better, like emotionally and mentally by saying, Hey, you're good. Let's take the word off your toe. Um, he forgot to mention the lung cancer. Yeah. Mm. You or didn't want to offend it. you. So he didn't mention <laughs> he it. He didn't want to offend you. Right. I mean, yeah. seriously, that's, that is what we're dealing with here. Uh, when we when we put our foot down, as you said, Jeremy, on these kind of doctrines, as offensive as they may sound to the world, and um, even to, I would say, sadly, to some in the church, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and this is becoming more and more of an issue in the church, uh, universal, maybe not the true church, but the church nonetheless, the visible church. Uh, this this is this is because we love people. Mm -hmm that we put our foot down, that we, that we stand on the truth because we want people to be happy, joyful, fulfilled, uh, blessed, um, intimate with God. Mm -hmm. And you can't be when you start eliminating uh, doctrines because of your distaste of them. Yeah. No matter if it's, um, you know, premarital sexual relationships um, extramarital sexual relationships, same-sex uh, sexual relationships, none of those we are, we are standing up against one over the other. We're right. saying they yeah. are all aberrant. Yeah. And we say that not because we're trying to elevate ourselves and minimize or put down others who you know, struggle with these things or believe in those things. We're saying that because we believe God's intention for mankind is to enjoy him forever, mm -hmm. as we started this podcast with. Um, we won't be able to enjoy ourselves or God forever if we um, promote and embrace things that he has, you know, firmly forbid because it ruins our joy. Yeah, yeah. And this is not, and this is not behaviorism. And I think this is the, the charge that gets that gets brought when we start talking about these things, which are biblical things to talk about. People go, oh, "You're just like, for example, I just heard Ibram Kendi the other day, the the, the famous like head of the anti-racist you know movement, okay. um, talk about what he calls savior theology, and that Christians who believe in a, in the need of a personal salvation." go around pointing fingers at people and saying, look at those maladapted, misbehaved people out there. We need to bring them in to save them because they aren't living a good life. And that's a total misrepresentation of what the Bible says. You know, we never go up to somebody in any conversation like this, like whether we're talking about homosexuality or whatever, and say, you're a homosexual, you need to repent so that you can mm -hmm. be saved. Well, their homosexuality isn't their root problem. Mm -hmm. Their root no. problem is that they're 
a, cr- a creation yeah. who has rejected their creator and the salvation he's but um, given through Christ. But unfortunately, we do have people who are self-professing Christians who are doing that. And we would say the same thing to them. Yeah. Yeah. So we would say also, uh, go- gossip is just as is damning as any other sin sure. that we, we would list or that sure. they would list. Sure. Sure. And those things separate us from God and ruin that that creature create creator yeah. relationship yeah. that's you know intended by God to bring him glory and us joy. Yeah. And so the fundamental need of every person is not to leave it leave off gossip or to leave off homosexuality. It's to be restored to their creator through Jesus Christ alone. Yeah. And having embraced their savior, those things slough off. Yeah. A hundred percent of the time. Yeah. And not you know, and we're not talking about perfection. We're talking about a life that embraces Jesus Christ as Lord. Yeah. Because you can't have him any other way yeah. than a savior and Lord. Yeah. I think I think I'm not sure you're going there, Jeremy, but I think the, the church sometimes misre- misrepresents God and the gospel mm-hmm. by condemning the famous sins. Yeah. And I mean that's common. Yeah. And it, unfortunate in my opinion. Uh, I, I think we have alienated people who uh, need Christ, obviously, because of the evidence we see in their lives. Um, but, but no more than I need Christ, mm-hmm. who, who don't have that type of evidence, those famous sin type evidence. But I've got plenty of evidence <laughs> of my need for Christ yeah. in my life, yeah. even today. Yeah. And so we're, we're, I think it's important that we clarify that with people yeah. as we talk about the doctrine of man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As as you guys were talking about, I thought about First Corinthians six, uh, and Paul kind of lists off this this list of, of sins. And he says, "Or do you not know in First uh, Corinthians six, starting in verse nine, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be." Dis- be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Were. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you, and the list there is not comprehensive, yeah. but it's it covers the spectrum. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, we have swindlers. What are those? Those are manipulators. Do you know any manipulators? Yeah. I know a lot of them. And a lot of them that I know call themselves Christians. Hmm. And so I think that's really important to view that way, to see things as they are. Yeah. So, so what we're saying is, is the loving thing to do is not just turn the other cheek and just go, oh, this is okay. But approaching it and going, we need to, we need to get to the root of the problem here and, and hit at sin, which is the most loving thing we could do. Right. Right. And, and, I, and I, I would add, not in a condemning way. Okay. I don't think we need to be trying to um, shame people in their sin. I think we need to show people a savior. Yeah. Now, that's our yeah. objective as a church. Yeah. yeah. I'm not saying we put up with sin. I'm not saying that. Don't misunderstand me. I'm saying we don't shame sinners. We show them Christ. Yeah. That's what we do. Yeah. I mean, it seems like that's what Jesus did. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, even inherent into the the message of salvation is that Christ bore our shame. And so, you know, we're, we could point at sinners, in which case we'd also have to point at ourselves and say, shame on you. 
and that would be that would be justified but that's not the way mm -hmm. right we we rather point to christ mm -hmm. and say look at him who mm -hmm. bore our shame and carried our sorrows mm -hmm. you know we already have enough shame and guilt um inherently because we recognize our you know our that we have done poorly yeah. <laughs> to put it mildly yeah. Yeah. and so the message is not um go get those people to to put away their evil yeah. um the message is what paul said there in second corinthians 5 we are ambassadors for christ god making his appeal through us we implore you on behalf of christ be reconciled to yeah. god yeah. yeah and in that same passage he talks about being an aroma yeah yeah an aroma for christ yeah you know that's an aroma of the gospel. Yeah. In other words, it ought to be attractive. Yeah. The gospel ought to be attractive. Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the sin, yeah. but to die yeah. for sin. Yeah. And so it's, it ought to be an attractive conversation, not a condemning one, where yeah. you name sins and then associate sins with certain sinners and, you know, with the finger wagging, say, you need to change. Yeah. No, yeah. that's not how it works. Yeah. That's not the gospel. Because yeah. you can't. You, can't you cannot. Change. You cannot. Yeah. And and Jesus, you know, part of that message is repent, which no matter how well you're loving somebody and how beautiful you're portraying Christ as, because you can't portray him beautiful enough because he's more beautiful than we can possibly describe. People will hear, because part of the gospel message is repent, mm -hmm. repent. And people will hear that because we have to, if we haven't, preach repent and believe in the gospel we haven't preached the gospel but people will hear the call to repent and the call to to leave sin in repentance and say what well, you're condemning mm -hmm. but right. what we're talking about are two totally different things right. there's the spirit of condemnation which is judgmentalism mm -hmm. which jesus condemns in his people but then there's the the call to repentance which in the context of a gospel presentation um is essential mm -hmm. well and not only essential uh but it's it's supernatural <clears throat> yeah it's something that i can't make my children repent right i can't make my neighbors repent i can't even make myself repent mm -hmm. god must grant repentance mm -hmm. and if you think about that just for a second you realize that that calling people to repentance isn't condemnation yeah. at least calling truly calling people to repentance cannot be condemnation it's it's a it's a call to respond to the grace of God, mm -hmm. and only through grace and mercy can you, me, or our children repent. Mm -hmm. It's it's something that's granted. It's a gift. Mm -hmm. It says in Acts thirteen, a, the gift of repentance was given to the Gentiles. Yeah. <clears throat> so, so there is a difference between telling somebody that they are under condemnation for their sins, repent, believe the gospel, and find the wholeness and restoration of Christ, yeah. um, and then the condemning finger wagon. Right, right. And it's an important difference. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, the world doesn't see the difference that much. They don't. And the, you, so that's an inevitable reality. You're but they use it, they use it like Jesus said in John in John 3, to run from the light. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're just condemning, so I'm going the other way. It's, yeah. it's the light shines, you know, reveals sin. Mm -hmm. And because people love their sin or darkness better than the light, they run from it. Like the little bugs, when you turn the rocks over, they run. Um, so that's an excuse. It's it's a it's a well used excuse yeah. uh, to condemn, you know, the Christians who are who are sounding condemning, and at the same time sp sparing their pride and continuing their sin. Yeah, it's a it's a yeah. a game that's commonly played. Yeah.
I think it's easy for us as Christians too, and this is kind of moving into our next, the the depravity man, although we've been discussing it. Um, but it's, I think it's easy for us as Christians in our legalistic way of doing things and seeing seeing the world and seeing everything that's taking place and, and pointing a finger and saying, well, that person's too far gone, right? Like that that part, that person is, you know, a homosexual, that person's a you know, drunkard, all those things. And we can point a finger, you know, taking the, the recent shootings that have taken place, Atlanta and, and Boulder. Um, it's easy to point a finger and say, well, that person is just too far gone. Right. And how would we respond to that? I would, I would respond to that by pointing to Paul who told Timothy that he was the chief of sinners. Yeah. In other words, he viewed himself. The, the, I think if there was an apostle in the new Testament, it was Paul. Uh, of course there was, there was 12 of them, including Paul. But um, I, I think that Paul, being all that he was, viewed himself as the least of the apostles and the chief of sinners. Mm. What that means to me is uh, God can change anybody, mm-hmm. including the murderers in Boulder and everywhere else in the world. And so, yeah, I, I they're, they're not beyond... Uh, the grace of God. God's hand is not too short to save, as Isaiah says. So, yeah, that's how I'd respond. Yeah. When someone says, I'm, you know, I've done too much, God can't forgive me, I say, are you dead yet? Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. that would kind of be the point of no return. Like if you've rejected Christ yeah. and you're died. Yeah. But you're and, not And how yet. much worth is the death of Christ, the Son of God? Did he... Did he? Did his death only cover certain sins, like the, the ones past this line? No. Yeah. Sorry. No, that's not. That's not the. There's no limit on the value of Christ's death. Yeah. Well, I think there's something instructive even in the manner of Christ's death. Yeah. Right. Roman crucifixion was something so horrible <laughs> that a Roman citizen could not legally endure it, but the the lowest of the low could, and they did, and that's the that's the death Jesus died. So, you know, the, the punishment that was reserved for the most vile people is the death that God's son endured. And I think that tells us exactly how far mm-hmm. his grace reaches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and why was the death of Christ on the Roman cross any more uh, effective, efficient, salvific than the thousands of others that died on that Roman cross? Mm-hmm. Because he was perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. His perfection and death, innocent death, on the cross covers the worst of sin. So perfection balances out, if you will, the worst of sins. Mm-hmm. If you're looking at it as a scale in terms of the, the efficaciousness of the death of Christ for sinners, you're asking, is the mass murderer forgivable, right? Well, how perfect is perfection? It's perfect. It, it's the exact opposite of the worst of sinners. Hmm. And so the death of Christ is sufficient for the worst of sinners because it was a perfect life. Hmm. It balances out everything that's the opposite of that, hmm. the imperfect. You know, what we might describe as the worst of sins, the mass murderer. And yet it, it's forgivable because of the perfection of the one who died. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, I love the stories throughout the Gospels of Christ dining and feasting with the lowest of the low, you know, e- eating with the prostitutes. Like the Pharisees, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But there's, there's one story that always stands out to me. It's when Jesus is entering Jericho or he's coming out of Jericho, and there's the two blind beggars crying out, you know, Son of David, have mercy on me, you know, heal me. And the crowd is walking before Jesus, and they, they tell they tell these two blind beggars to basically shut up. Like he doesn't, he doesn't want to talk to you. And I can't help but think or put myself in that situation of being in that crowd when there's probably a majority of those people had just experienced the same kind of healing that those blind beggars were asking for, you know, (laughs) like, and they're, and they're there saying, no, no, no. Like he wants nothing to do with you. Um, and okay. You're blind. Yeah. You're a beggar. Yeah. You got stinky clothes on. Yeah. Yeah. And how how that was that Go was through the me. List. That was me. Yeah, um, yeah. It's such a such a wonderful savior <laughs> as we think about. It. Well, and every one of the gospel stories is like that. Yeah, you know, hundred percent of the time, I believe, and I haven't done a you know a research analysis of this, but I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a number out there. Legalism, legalistic self righteousness begins in, in a Christian begins with forgetting what Christ saved you from. Mm. Right. Because you can't, you can't meditate on the gospel for you. Mm-hmm. As and, God in Christ forgave you, so mm-hmm. forgive one another. Yeah, and yeah. so unforgiveness also yeah. begins there. Yep. So all these things where we turn against and become the servant who beats the one who owed us a hundred pennies mm-hmm. when we owed a million dollars, that begins with forgetting the gospel mm-hmm. for us. I just read this morning in Luke um, the story of of the lady who's who was a sinner who came and. And with her tears, you know, wet Jesus' feet, and she wiped them mm. with her hair. And mm. and then Jesus turned to the Pharisee who had invited him to this, you know, you know, uppity, you know, dinner party. And he, this this Pharisee was trying to impress Jesus, but Jesus turned to him and said, "Now, uh, answer me a few questions." And he went through this whole thing. He goes, "If if you had a debt." And and mm-hmm. um, or two guys two guys had a debt and they were both forgiven but one was a huge debt one was a little debt who would who would you know be more thankful mm-hmm. and the Pharisee rightly answered and Jesus said well you've answered rightly the, the guy with the more debt and then Jesus says well, look at this lady here yeah. you know since I came here you you didn't wipe clean my feet but she hasn't stopped yeah. you know yeah. crying and cleaning them with her tears and you you didn't offer me anything. Look what she's done. Yeah. Who's forgiven here? Yeah. <laughs> it was it's an awesome story. Yeah. All of those are awesome. That's, yeah. Those yeah. are great. Yeah. Yeah, we have a wonderful gospel, uh, a wonderful savior who died for our sins. And we hope that you would uh, join us as we reflect on that truth and celebrate that truth this Friday. Uh, on Good Friday at 7 p.m. And then again on Sunday as we celebrate the resurrection of our Savior on Easter Sunday. Church, we love you. We hope this has been encouraging for you and challenges you and that you would take that gospel message out to a world. We pray that you would be blessed by it. Have a great day.